going to talk for a short time this afternoon about relationships. You know, when we think about relationships, we think about the relationships today that we have with one another. And it doesn't matter who we are or where we came from, we have relationship with those that are here. And it's not just with family. A lot of people here are related in some way, whether by marriage, whether by third cousin, whether by a whole lot of different other things. They're related in some way. But it goes far beyond that. You know, if you take the body of Christ away, it is highly unlikely I would know anyone here. And when you think about that, it's kind of perplexing that the people that you have in your life that mean so much to you, one small change in your life and they could all be gone. Our relationship wouldn't even exist, most likely. So as we think about that, we want to think that much deeper than just the relationships that we have here. We want to think about the relationships we have with one another, with the relationships we have through Christ's body, the relationships we have with our maker. We want to think about all of those things. I think it's important that we look at these things because of the fact that relationships are so prevalent among God's word. Uh, Associations such as husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, children, grandfather, grandmother, grandchildren, uncle, aunt, cousin, master, servant, government, citizen, elders, flock, friend, enemy. These are all relationships that are addressed throughout God's word. And as we study today, I hope we can have a better understanding of how those relationships should be. You know, God is the author of these relationships, and these are all Bible words. These relationships were established in the Bible. Some things like marriage are according to God's word and they're established the way that he says that they should be. The Bible is a book about God and his relationship with humans. As we study, we see that prevalent theme over and over again. And some of those relationships, like with David and Abraham, those are good relationships. Those are good relationships that God had with his people. But others such as Judas and Jezebel, maybe not so good. You know, we, we understand and we read those things and we see that those were not good relationships. Those people didn't have good relationships with God. And we certainly don't want to model ourselves after those relationships. Our relationship with God depends on the kind of life that we live, doesn't it? That determines our relationship with God. If we take back to the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments instructed the Jews on how to have a good relationship with God. And the last six commandments instructed them on how to have a good relationship with their fellow man. So there again, it's prevalent on what was taught there and how people should interact with one another. The law and the prophets were about relationships and so was the new covenant. So we see there throughout God's word over and over and over we see what we're learning through here is how to conduct ourselves when we deal with others and how God deals with us. You know, God is righteous and holy and good. How can we have a good relationship with him if we don't follow his commandments? When you think about a family and you think about each one of us knowing someone that may have a family member and they say, oh, but they're estranged. That was their son, but he's estranged from the family. That was a cousin, but they're estranged from him. What does that mean, estranged? That means I have, having lost former closeness or affection toward that individual. You know, that can happen to us. That can happen to us and God to become estranged from him. 
you know, sometimes it's because we don't have a good bond or because those individuals don't have a good bond with their family and they just sort of drift away and that's kind of the way that that happens. But in other cases, those certain people become unruly and they don't necessarily buy into the values that that family has and it causes stress in that family and it's easy, just easier for them to move far, far away from it and just avoid the whole situation. Is that not how it is between us and God? If we don't have that bond with God, do we have a good relationship with God? If we don't follow His commandments and strive to do what He intends for us to do in this life, does that not strain our relationship with God? It's very similar, very similar with relationships we see in this life. In 1 John 3 and verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. This verse expresses the relationship between God and us, doesn't it? In 1 John 4 and verse 10 it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sin. He didn't love us because we loved him, did we? That's not the way it works with God's relationship. Before we ever knew him, he made the first step. He made the first step to give his son that we could be reconciled to him, that he could reach out to us. It wasn't because of anything we did. If you think about any relationship you have in this life, somebody took the first step toward making that relationship happen. It may have been me being introduced to someone else or someone else being introduced to me. It may have been from a kind act that someone did for me. Someone took a, the first step in any relationship that we have. Who was it in this case? It was God, wasn't it? Before we ever knew him, he gave his son because of the things that would be in our lives that would stand between us and him. And he removed that for us. Certainly there's more in it for us than it was than there is for God in that relationship. In John 10 and verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So what are we talking about here? This is our relationship between us and Jesus. He gave his life to reconcile us to God. So as we look at this and we see that God made the first step, he gave his son. And Jesus made the first step. He gave his life that we could have those relationships and thank God that those things that were done. You know, this verse expresses a relationship between Jesus and Christians, doesn't it? It expresses that, that he gave his life for us. You know, God created us as social beings, didn't he? We sort of like interacting with one another with the exception of maybe a few in this audience, we like to tend to have interaction with none of them. Maybe not Matt. <laughs> maybe not Matt. But I think Matt would even tell you, if he goes a long time without seeing people, he kind of looks forward to that. It's just something that's in us. It's something that makes us. You know, I talk a lot about this show alone where they drop these people on this island, and I know probably y'all get tired of hearing this, but I, I see so many analogies that can come from this show. But they drop them on this island and there may be ten of them on this island and they have certain amount of space, maybe three miles 
that they're not supposed to go out, they're not supposed to go try to find each other or interact in any way, and they're out there. And whoever stays out there the longest, they're going to win. There's maybe a half million dollars that they're going to win if they can do this. All they have to do is stay on the island and not talk to anybody. Sounds simple, doesn't it? You know, the funny thing is, you'll see it, and in the beginning, everybody's excited, and they're going to do it, you know, and they've got this big strategy on how they're going to make this happen. And you know, some of them will talk about it, and they're like, you know, I'm, it's pretty, pretty undesirable out here, but, you know, I'm probably going to be out here more than a year, and I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. It's funny, because those guys are never the ones that win. <laughs> you know, the longest one that I saw one, one season lasted almost four months. That was the longest they could go. More of them go about three months. And the ones that do it experience all kinds of weird stuff, you know. They get sick. They have schizophrenia, sleeplessness. All of these different things that you would never think would happen just from not having interaction from your fellow man. That's an odd thing, isn't it? It's in us to want to socialize and be with people and have them around us to a certain extent. God knows our lives will be fuller if we have good relationships in our lives. And he wants to have us to have as many good relationships as we can possibly have. That's why we gather here. He wouldn't want us to come together with a bunch of people we didn't have a good relationship, would he? <laughs> That's a recipe for disaster. We all hated one another and he just demanded that we come together. That's not what he intended, is it? And I think we know that. The teachings of the new co covenant is how to be successful in our relationships. And God teaches, teaches us about different roles we have. And we accept our God-given roles that will cause us to have good relationships in our lives. All good relationships are based on trust. If you think about that for just a second, there has to be trust between me and someone else for us to have a good relationship. You can't have it without trust. It just doesn't work. So when we look through there, we see the theme of trust. In Exodus 20, verses 12 through 17, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Trust. That the days may be long upon the land of the Lord that give Thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So when we look through there, we see a lot of things that if we look at the inverse, this tells us how not to interact with our fellow man. But what does it tell us about this? If trust is the basis for all good relationships, women, do you want your husband to go out and find a murderer and say, hey, this guy's going to come live with us for a little while? How would you feel about that? What about those of you who are raising teenage boys? Would you want to know that your husband was bringing a well-known fornicator to come pick your kids up from school? be a role model for them? Absolutely not. That would not be a good idea, would it? That's not what we intend when we read these things. God put those out there to tell us things to avoid and how not to, to 
conduct ourselves in doing these things. There's also much teaching in the Bible about keeping and maintaining and repairing relationships. All the teaching on the tongue is about maintaining good relationships, isn't it? When it tells us to be truthful with our fellow man, that's about maintaining a good relationship. When it tells us not to be wrathful and all of these different things toward others, that's how we're to interact with these individuals. And it makes sense because no one wants to be in a relationship that's abusive or anything like that. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him, know, let him be unto thee as an heathen man, and a publican. Now what are we talking about here? It tells us in that first verse. If a brother shall trespass against thee. These are the steps you do use to repair it. Why would that not work if it's not a brother? Because a brother doesn't care what anybody thinks about it. They don't really have the same rules. They don't conduct themselves the same as someone who's sitting in the pew next to you or the seat next to you. The people in this room care about what people think about them. They care about each individual and how they think of them because of the relationship that we have. In Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Restore such an one. That's how we overcome the conflict that exists. We repair those relationships, whether it be with us and our brother <clears throat> or our brother with God. Those are the things that we do. Forgiveness and mercy are for repairing relationships, aren't they? You know, we think about our own lives. As a baby, we were perfect in God's eyes. But because of our actions and the sin that entered our lives, suddenly we had something that stood between us and God. And what happened? God's grace and mercy came up with a way to take care of that. He gave his son as a, as a sacrifice to take care of those things. And so we can see there that grace and, or forgiveness and mercy are for repairing relationships. You know, the great physician came to heal relationships, didn't he? He came to heal those things and to teach us to heal relationships. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking here, isn't it? You know, we'll be successful and have a good relationship with God when we keep his commandments. In Luke 5 and 31 it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They which are whole need not a physician, but they which are sick. So when we think about that, and we think about the commandments that God's given us, and we think about when we break those commandments, there's places something between us and God, we have the physician there, the great physician, we also know to be Jesus. And he takes care of those things. And just like we talked about this morning, about having a checkup and knowing when we have warning signs, and knowing we're spiritually sick, 
Christ can cover those things and he can take care of those things in our lives. And that's the relationship that we have with him. What about our relationship with the world? You know, this, this one's kind of confusing sometimes to people. Now, I understand why. Because on one hand, we're supposed to be reaching out to people in the world and trying to help them with the issues that, they're in, that are in their lives and hopefully influence them to walk as God would have them to walk in our lives. But on the other hand, we're also told to beware of the things of the world. Beware of the th actions that people take and not partake in those things. And so how do we reconcile that not, not being a part of the things they do but trying to help these people. And I think as, as we study, we'll see that that's possible. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For, that fellow, for what fellowship hath righteousness and unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord with Christ and Belial? Or what part of he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, that first verse has always confused me, because when we think about a yoke, what always comes to mind? An ox. When we think about this yoke that's placed on these ox to pull these carts, and it talks about being equally yoked. But when I looked in some of the commentaries that I looked at, it said, no, that's not what it was talking about. It was actually talking about a military term and talking about being out of rank or being with a different rank. So when it says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers... Don't be with the people of a different rank. These individuals aren't Christians. They haven't accepted Christ. They don't live their lives the way that Christ would have them to. So they're in a different rank than we are. And it says don't be unequally yoked with them. And I understand how, how that's confusing and understand that. But we need to understand what it's talking about is don't be in that rank. Don't participate in the things that they do. But that still leaves us falling short on, okay, how do we help them if we're not supposed to be apart with them? There's no association between light and darkness. And we know, know that the Bible talks about light and darkness over time and time again. We see the different passages. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, dim light. What about dim light? No, if a light is dim, that just means there's an absence of some of the light, doesn't it? If I take a glass of water and I can see through that glass, and then I stir in a bunch of dirt, I may can still see through it, but it's a little bit cloudy. It's not the same with light. And the absence of light is darkness. And that's what it talks about over and over again. If it weren't for the light that we have in this world, it would just be darkness. And that's the relationship that God wants his people to have with the earth. You know, good, good, strong communities and churches don't just happen, do they? They don't just happen. There are people there that are doing things to let their light shine. They're doing good acts. They're doing good works. 
And those things shine. And that's what makes for a strong community. That's what makes for a strong church. Is the things that people do. And we have to remember that and know that. Light and darkness do not mix. There's only the absence of light that causes darkness. Now, I don't believe Jesus taught us to be hermits and withdraw from the world. I think we see over and over that that's not what was intended. And if that statement's true, then what should our interaction be with the world? What should it be? In Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, it says, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and give light unto all, the, all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they shall see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now I want to look at two things here. It talks about salt, doesn't it? Salt enhances flavor. It's a proactive thing. If we don't put salt in our food, does it help enhance the flavor at all? No. It won't do anything if it's just sitting on the table. And it talks about salt losing its savor. What if that salt has lost its savor? It doesn't matter how much we put on our food. It's not going to enhance the taste of it. This talks about us being the salt. And we should be proactive in those things that we do. If we want that good, strong church or that good, strong community, then we need to do those things that make for strong communities and strong churches. What about the light of the world? That's a more passive thing, isn't it? A light that sits there. You know, when we turn on the light, we do that to see things that are in the room. Now, it's not always for something specific. It's more in general what we see. So it's not so much what we do, but what they see us do in general when you're thought, take, thinking about people and the example that we're to set. How can our light shine before men if we're not among men? That's the real question. When we think about becoming a hermit and isolating ourselves and removing ourselves to try and do what God would have us to do, how can we be that light? You know, I've told a story before. In some of these mountain towns, they're all the same. You go through them and, and you look and you see you have the, the forest and the hills and everything on each side of it. And then you have sort of the town down through the middle. And when you drive through there, you can see the forest. But it's a lot different at night. Because at night you can see up in those hills there's little cabins up there. And you'll see the lights. And those lights add and enhance the, the atmosphere of the whole town. And people look at that and they comment on it and they talk about how pretty it is. That's a good thing, isn't it? But you know, I think of another story too. Most of you know my brother Paul. He's a landman in the wind industry and he goes and he talks and he tries to lease land from people. So he's been working out in Clinton, New Mexico. And I don't know if you've been to Clinton, but there's not much there. It's just an old dusty town. And I said, well, where do you go to find somebody to talk to there? And he said, you know, it's a funny thing. He said, you'll go out on the highway and you'll drive and drive, and then you may just turn off the highway onto a dirt road, and you might go 20, 30 miles on a dirt road, and you'll end up at an old ranch house out there. You know, the light coming from that house doesn't enhance much, does it? It's there, 
there's a light there. But it's not enhancing the town at all. It's too far away. It's not there. And we can be just the same. If we decide to isolate ourselves and become hermits, we may be the best, strongest Christian we can be, but we're not having an influence on over it. We're not enhancing anyone's life. And we're not creating the relationships that God would have us to create. When we're at work or school or at the store or among men, and we should be a good example before men, shouldn't we? Do we let our light shine? Or is that light only shine in the four walls of our house and within this church? It's a fair question. Where do we let our light shine? God intends for us to let it shine always, wherever we're at, among whoever we're with. How can you be an example if people can't be around you? We need to understand that. Again, when we're out there and we're trying to do these things, we need to interact with others if we're to do what God intended for us to do. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, it says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, the such one know not to eat. Now we're moving further on. We've got a relationship here with one of our brothers. You know, is this talking about every time somebody makes a mistake in the church that we cast them out? We trot them underfoot? We set them out to be some bad example? No. No. There won't be anybody left. I mean, we, we wouldn't be able to come together if we were supposed to do that. We all make mistakes. The question is, what is our intent in doing all that? Do we show remorse in the things that we do? Are we striving to walk as God would have us to walk? Okay, that's one thing. What he's talking about here is people that have these things in their life. They're perfectly happy living in this way, and they may profess Christ, but they're not taking care of these things in their life, and they're, they're not striving to live as God would have them to live. So when it talks about our brother being involved in all of this, that's what it's talking about. It says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world. I'm sorry, I went to the, to the next verse. Uh, 5, 9, 3, 10. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with covetous or extortionists, or with all idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Now this is talking about the people of the world. A lot of those same things. Now how do we deal with those individuals? This is not to keep company with those things. That's not somebody that we should give preference to. People in the world are not in a covenant relationship with God, are they? They're just not going to live a Christian life if that's not something they're striving to do. You can't expect as much from somebody like that. You know, it's a, it's a different set of expectations than I would have from one of you when I go out into the world and go wherever. It's a different set of expectations. It's God's desire that through our influence and relationship with these people that they be led to have a relationship with God. When we deal with them, we have to be honest. We can't be dishonest with people and expect them to have a good, uh, a good uh, 
expectation of what God can do in their lives. We don't talk about inappropriate things, and we don't get drunk, and don't curse or address them honestly, and do the things that Christ wants you to be. That's the example we should have. Be the things he would ask you to be when we're around these people, because the influence we're to have on them should attract them toward a godly life. So what should we do with people of the world? In Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath all loved us, and hath given himself to us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not yet convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor uncovetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, and because of these things cometh to the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them, Be ye, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful fruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's a lengthy reading there, and there are a couple of things that we want to talk about. In verse 7 it says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. When we have these people and we know that they're doing these certain things, it says, Be ye not partakers of these things. And again in verse Number 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You know, Paul didn't say workers. He said works, didn't he? He didn't say, don't go out and try to convert these people. Don't go out and try to be a good influence on these people. No, he said, don't partake in the things that they're doing. Don't be a part of the works that they're doing. And that's the relationship that we should have. We should be more than willing to reach out to these people. We should be more than willing to help where we can help. But where we have to draw that line is when they're doing the things that make them a part of the world. That's where the line has to be, be drawn. We need to be sure that we understand our relationship with those in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. You know, if you go back a couple of years, we had an entire Saturday dedicated to that very subject, being in the world but not of it. You know, and I'm sure we can find those things. If you're interested in those things, we can find those tapes for you. But that is the relationship that we should have the, with those in the world. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, it says, Now when we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You know, we're to be ambassadors. What does that mean? Our role as ambassadors is to sow goodwill. And when we're out there and when we're being the salt of the earth, when we're being the light that God would have us to do, we're sowing those seeds, aren't we? We're sowing those seeds. We're planting those seeds in people's minds that there is something more to life. There is something more available to them than just living as they, they can live in the world. And we need to remember that our inter interactions with people matter. It matters a whole lot, our interactions with other, other people and our relationships 
with other people. You know, when we deal with them, they shouldn't see us as a stick in the mud, as someone who's rude or someone who's aggressive or demanding or insulting or argumentative. That's not the interaction we should have, whether we know people or not. It should be an interaction that they look and they say, hey, there's something different about this person. There's something different about them, and they may not even know why. They may not even know why, but we should know why, because that's what God would have us to do. We need to treat people the way we would want to be treated. And if we do those things, if we have those interactions with those around us, whether we have a personal relationship with them or not, the interactions we have with them will be positive, and it'll be a good thing in their lives. And that's what God wants from us. So how would you rate your relationship with different individuals? How would you rate it with those in the world? Good? Distant? Close? How about other Christians? How about with God? How do you relate, relate to these different individuals? How do you rate those relationships? You know, when we think about those things, they should all be positive. It should be a good relationship with those in the world, even though we don't participate in the things that they do, not with the works, as it said. When we talk about other Christians and the dealings that we have with those around us in this church, in the building here today, or those that we meet around, in, around about, that should be a good thing. It should be a positive thing. In our relationship with God, it should be good and positive as well. Because the things that we do and our interactions and the actions that we take paint a picture for other people. You know, what's harder than talking to people about a church they know nothing about? What's harder than that? They know nothing about a church, this church and you're trying to talk to them about it. I'll tell you what's harder than that. Talking to someone about a church they know a whole lot about and none of it's good. That is difficult. We have to mind what we do. We have to try to be a positive influence on people. We have to make a difference in people's lives. And that's how we will avoid that. I don't say that because I think we have a big problem here. I, I don't. I think when people think of this church, it's a positive thing. When they think of the people here, they think positively of them. And we want to continue with that. And we want to continue to strive to serve what God would have us to do. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.